to hear an anointed, powerful word that will change your life from Treasure Coast Victory Center. Be blessed as your faith goes from one level of glory to another level of glory. Are you ready? Yes. All right, go to John's Gospel, chapter 3 tonight. Father, I thank you for your word once again. I thank you for continuing to open our eyes up to your word and helping us to understand what kingdom life is really supposed to be like. Father, we thank you that you're raising up a generation who are going to walk like you want us to walk and do what you want us to do. We thank you for your Holy Ghost on the inside of us. We thank you for all he does through us, in us, and with us, and give you the praise for it. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. All right, well, surprisingly, we're going to talk about the kingdom again tonight. So in John chapter 3... Look at verse 1. It says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Notice what it's talking about here. This is the only time in the Bible that Jesus ever taught on being born again. Here he states that you need to be born again, not to enter heaven, but to what? Enter the kingdom of God. Now, the church for years have been talking about you get born again, you go to heaven, all that. But notice, Jesus never even mentioned heaven in this entire verse. He said, basically, when you get born again, you enter into the kingdom of God. The church teaches that born again basically means that you are going to heaven, and that's been it so far. But Jesus teaches born again is basically an entrance into the kingdom of God. And once again, Jesus never mentioned heaven here. Religion taught me that the peace and the joy and the good life that wasn't happening in my life would happen when I finally died and I went to heaven. In other words, going to heaven meant entering the kingdom of God where all the peace and the joy and the righteousness and everything I needed was. That if you entered the kingdom of God when you died and went to heaven, everything would be all right. But notice, that cannot be true because if entering the kingdom of God comes when you die, then you can't be born again because Jesus said that's when you enter the kingdom of God until after you die. And you can't be born again after you die because you no longer got a decision to be born again. So you don't have to be born again. The basic is when you're born again, you basically become a kingdom citizen. Are you following that? In other words, that's what we've been taught and it's not lined up with the kingdom of God teaching. So you enter the kingdom of God basically when you get born again. If you're born again, you have entered into the kingdom of God. Religion basically is a modern day Nicodemus. How many know Nicodemus didn't understand the born again? How many know the church doesn't understand the born again? So it's basically a Nicodemus in this day and hour. So once again, the day you were born again was the day that you actually entered into the kingdom of God. Okay, go back to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is speaking in verse 20. He says, For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now we all know that Adam disobeyed God. When he did, according to the word, he lost the kingdom of God. He lost dominion and he also lost the Holy Ghost. 
Jesus came to restore back to man what he lost. Adam never lost religion, he lost a kingdom. He never lost basically heaven, he lost dominion. He never really lost righteousness he, or religious works. So if I'm a Christian and I get born again and I know that Jesus restored to me certain things that I had before basically through mankind that were coming to me and basically I started seeking the wrong things because they told me to seek the wrong things. Jesus never told me to seek heaven. He never told me to seek good religious works to get in, in union with him. He never told me to seek the earth. He told me basically to seek the kingdom of God and all its righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. So if I enter the kingdom of God and basically I'm seeking things that I didn't lose, then I'm seeking the wrong things. Because if Jesus restored what I lost, then I need to seek what I lost in order to get what I lost that Jesus restored. Can you follow that? Feels like I'm going a little fast tonight. Here's talking about the Pharisees. Say the Pharisees. Now the Pharisees were the most religious people in the entire Bible. Their righteousness and relationship with God was based on their works only. We have been taught to do religious works. We've been taught to seek heaven. We've been taught to go to church. We've been taught to serve, to pray, to fast, to do all these things to get into heaven. Religious activity tries to get back what man never lost and cannot obtain what we lost. Have you ever talked to somebody and you said, are you going to heaven? They say, well, I probably am because I'm a pretty good person. How I many you know they can't be a good enough person? What is that? That's religion. That's I'm going to earn my way into heaven. I'm going to do basically through works and obtain what Adam lost in the garden. I'm going to do that. So basically you seek something else. And this is why a lot of people are in trouble. Because if you do not seek the void in your heart, which is the kingdom and the dominion that God has given us, then you're going to seek other things. So what do people seek? Some seek, I sought alcohol. Some people seek drugs. Some people seek uh, sex. Some seek gangs. Some seek money. Some seek food. What are they doing basically? They're going after something to fill that void in their heart. But how many of you know it didn't fill the void? It just basically numbed you to get through. So there's, go there's a void in there. And basically what we need to do is fill it. But you have to fill it only with what you're missing, which is the kingdom of God and how to operate in the kingdom of God. Did you ever think I'm going to church? I'm reading the word. I'm praying. I'm doing all this stuff, but nothing seems to be working. I did for a couple of years. Religion does these things to obtain kingdom benefits through self-effort. Many times we do our self-effort to God because of guilt. Sometimes we do it through condemnation. But the kingdom of God you find out that you entered freely provides these kingdom benefits and they come to you through the blood, not your works. Religion, which includes most of Christianity, tries to obtain and earn from God through effort, through works, and through appeasement what the kingdom freely restores to all mankind. You know, look, Lord, I went to church, now heal me. Look, Lord, I went to the prayer meeting on Tuesday night, now bless me. Look, Lord, I worked at bingo over the weekend, please give me something. What is it? It's all religious works trying to get God to do something in your life that he's basically already done in your life after you entered the kingdom of God. That's why you'll continually seek religiosity until you understand and enter in and understand that everything you're seeking has already been given to you when you entered the kingdom of God. My God, that's freeing. That set me free, praise God. I'm telling you what. I got tired of working. I don't know. I mean, religion wears you out, man. Wears you right down to the bone. You're always trying to do something good to please God and so that God looks down and claps and makes you happy and then you never feel like you did enough even if you did a lot. And if you didn't do nothing, then you really feel guilty because you didn't do nothing the whole week. You missed church. You did everything else. So then you feel more guilty so you try to be nicer to everybody just to try to make up for it. And all these are nothing but the, but the Bible calls dead works. Say dead works. 
Religion bases its relationship with God on its performance alone. The kingdom restores relationship through the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. When you get a revelation of that, it will eliminate religious works or dead works that you've been doing. Religion is what man does until he finds the kingdom of God. Religion will wear you out. Religion is a feeling. Religion is an emotion. There's many times in my life when I had a goose bump and I thought that God was all over me. I didn't know that God was all over me before I had the goose bump, but I needed something there to tell me that God was there. What is that? It's religion. When I didn't have a goose bump, I went into depression. Why? God left me. He went somewhere else. So what am I going to do? I'm going to go to church Sunday and Wednesday so God comes back again. I mean, no, it's religious works again. God's not going to come back. He's already with you 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But religion puts us into feelings and emotions. The kingdom is not feelings and emotions. The kingdom is a fact, a fact that you entered into the kingdom of God. People say, well, I have a relationship with him. And I said, is your relationship with him through religion? Because it is if it isn't the right relationship. So many of us who were raised in religion, which is about all of us, sooner or later you're going to have to repent and come out of that. In other words, you're going to have to change your way of thinking to one where the kingdom provided all for you and you don't have to work your way into anything because by the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ it was provided for me. Religion basically taught me when I got into it to prepare for heaven. Am I acting right today? Am I behaving myself? Am I doing good? Am I doing my best to get to heaven? But the kingdom doesn't really deal with heaven. The kingdom empowers us to dominate the earth, not leave the earth. It gives us a purpose for living now. It gives us a purpose for being here on the earth now, not when we die and go to heaven. Religion always focused me on heaven. Are you going to heaven? Aren't you going to heaven? When are you going to heaven? If you're going to heaven? Will you go to heaven? Maybe you'll go to heaven. But the kingdom doesn't deal with going to heaven. The kingdom has you focus on the earth. Our job here is to fill my purpose here while I'm on the earth, not get to heaven. When I entered the kingdom of God, heaven was a byproduct or a benefit of entering the kingdom of God. Just like healing, peace, joy, victory, all those things as soon as I entered the kingdom of God. The natural realm will tell you you don't have those things because you don't see those things happening. Well, I'm not living in victory. Well, why aren't you? Because this, 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 and this. But God said you entered the kingdom of God and you have victory in every area of your life. So I want to change my way of thinking and I want to agree with the kingdom word rather than the outside feelings and emotions and activities that are going on in the situations and circumstances. And what that'll do to you, it'll bring something called stability. Say stability. So we don't focus really on heaven. We're focused on earth, aren't we? My purpose is here and now. I'm focused on the earth. I'm here to change the earth. I'm here to do something. I don't even think about heaven that much at all anymore. I'm thinking about what I'm supposed to do here. Religion was basically me reaching up to God, trying to get God to see me, trying to get God to recognize me, trying to get God to love me, trying to get God to care for me. And then I found out it had nothing to do with me reaching up. It had all to do with him coming down. Because when he came down to the earth, he suffered and died and provided for us. So it wasn't me reaching up. It was his coming down that made the difference because Jesus restored to me everything that I was seeking for. The kingdom of God is basically God came down to man. The veil in the temple was rent from top to bottom. Well, I was pulling on that veil for years from the bottom, trying to get up to God, trying to have a relationship with God. And I was wasting my time because only God can give that relationship back to man. And he did that through Jesus coming and suffering and dying on the cross. So the kingdom of God basically came down to mankind. Religion wants to escape the earth. Why? It's hard on the earth. It's tough down here. It's a mess down here. 
It's terrible down here. So we sing songs. Can't wait till I go. I can't wait till I go. Those pearly streets and those golden streets. Can't wait till I go. So here we are in religion trying to get to heaven when God doesn't even want you in heaven. He wants you on the earth. He wants you here. Not to get to heaven. He wants you to impact the earth. He wants you to influence the earth. He wants you to bring the kingdom of heaven from heaven to the earth realm. And all Christians are trying to get out of here because everything's so bad. Well, we're, the reason why we're here is because it's so bad. We sing that one song. You know, we're the hope. I can't remember which one it is, but we're the hope of the world. You are the hope of the world. You're not looking to get out of here. You're not looking to escape. You're not looking like religion told you to just hang on. Just hang on, brother, and you'll make it. Jesus will come back and you'll die pretty soon and everything will be fine. No, everything can be fine now. The Bible talks about days of heaven on the earth. But we don't want to see that. We want to overlook that because that can't possibly be true. But it is true if you entered the kingdom of God, you are now there. You're fulfilling your purpose. And basically what, what religion does a lot of times, it postpones everything that you can have now to a later time. When I get to heaven, I'll have peace. When I get to heaven, I'll have joy. That's what religion tells you. Oh, it's going to be so good up there. But the kingdom tells you, you've got peace now. You've got joy now. You can be used now. You can do something now. And that keeps you from wasting your time from the day you were born again until the day you die. Because if you don't have any purpose, what am I going to do? Are you going to heaven? Yeah, got born again 42 years ago. What do you do? Well, I go to church every now and then, you know, and I pray and I do. That's about all I really got to do. Do you have a purpose? Yeah, I'm going to heaven. But do you have a purpose here? Not really. I'm going to heaven. Yeah, well, you're not even going to stay in heaven, number one. It's not even your eternal resting place. There's going to be new heavens and a new earth. And guess who's going to rule it? Thank you very much. Thank you very much. How I many know it's going to be a lot easier to rule then? Yes, it is. So the kingdom basically brings heaven down into the earth realm. When I first got born again, all I did all the time was struggle, battle, have trials. I found out that I was tolerating things in my life that I didn't need to allow to happen in my life. Why was that? Because I was taught that God is in control of everything. So if something bad was going on in my life, what could I do about it? God's in control of everything. If something good was going, praise God, hallelujah, something bad, oh, grumble, complain, and moan, and, and God, you know, if this is what God wants, this is what God wants. It, it, God's in control. That's all that happened. Nobody ever told me I had victory. Nobody ever told me I had power. Nobody ever told me I was filled with somebody by the name of the Holy Ghost. Nobody told me I had authority. Nobody told me I could tell the devil to get out and he'd actually go. Nobody told me any of this stuff. So what did I do? I lived like a Christian, a religion Christian, getting beat up by the devil, beat up by the world, and most of the time blaming it on God. That's God's will. That's what God wants in my life. And then we always try to sing a song where God is a good, good God that just repoed your car, your house just burnt down, your husband left you, your kids are running wild, and you want to sing, he's a good, good guy. No, you're thinking, he's a rat fink, man. If this is what he's doing to me, something's wrong. Well, he's not doing it to you. You're just a Christian rather than a kingdom person. Because a kingdom person knows that it wasn't God, praise God. They know that God's not in control of everything. All right, go to John chapter 17. Okay, John chapter 17, look at verse 14. Jesus is speaking. He says, I have given them thy word, and the, word and, the and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that you should take them out of the world, but thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the 
world. Now, here's Jesus praying to the Father. And what's he praying? He's not praying for God to take us out and deliver us from the earth. He's telling the Father to keep us in the earth. He's praying that people stand here. Well, God took that 25-year-old just because he needed another angel. No, God wants that 25-year-old right down here because he had a purpose and a plan for that purpose. And they just died and the devil got them out of their plan. So notice, it's not God who wants you in heaven. It's not Jesus who wants you in heaven. It's when you get in so many messes that you just want to get the heck out of here. You ever seen people cry, come back quick, Lord Jesus? Not because they want Jesus to come back because they want to get out of here, because they want somebody to come and help them. So the kingdom basically has nothing to do with feelings, nothing to do with emotions. It has nothing to do with seasons. It has nothing to do with feast days. The kingdom is simply a fact, a present day fact. It's not a once a year religious holiday. It is an every day of your life living in the kingdom of God. The kingdom has empowered us to dominate the earth. You have the power to focus on the earth, to impact the earth, to influence the earth, and change the earth. And you can do that today, right now. You don't have to wait until you die and go to heaven. We are called to bring heaven, God's will, God's purpose, God's intent to the earth, into our lives and others. We have a purpose and assignment now, not just after death. There's a hunger in every man's heart, basically, for the kingdom of God. When we're not taught right, we enter into religion and try to fill that hunger in our hearts with religion. But how many of you found out that religion does not work? It never works. If you want to read this book, you cannot read it as a religious book. You have to read it as a kingdom, as a government book, with government laws and government different angles and stuff that you read. It's a governmental thing, and that's how you grow. And the biggest opposition to the kingdom of God is not the world. It is basically religion. Notice the world very seldom ever attacked Jesus. Religion attacked Jesus. Why? Because religion set in their ways. They want to be in self-righteousness. They want to stay where they're at. They want to stay in their traditions and all that stuff. So they are the biggest opposition, not only to Jesus, but your biggest opposition is going to be coming out of religion into a kingdom mindset. Jesus came and said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. All right, go to Matthew chapter 23. going to deal with religion tonight. You probably figured that out by now. Matthew chapter 23, look at verse 13. Jesus once again is speaking and he says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves, neither do you allow them to enter and go in. So once again, religion is one of the greatest enemies to the kingdom of God. Jesus described it as labor and being heavy laden. Here he looks at the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, and say, your problem is you shut up the kingdom of heaven for others. Religion postpones the kingdom of God, its power, its dominion, its lifestyle, until after you die. After you die, you can have peace. After you die, you can get God's benefits. After you die, you can have joy. But for now, just hold on, brother. Just do your best, whatever God wants, until you die and go to heaven. When you get to heaven, though, you'll have peace, and you'll have joy, and you'll have victory. Religion says you cannot enjoy kingdom benefits now. The kingdom starts after you die. To religion, heaven basically is the kingdom of God. It postponed the kingdom and its benefits until a later time. That's why Jesus came and said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
He's saying, repent, because you have dominion and authority now. You have the kingdom in you today. You have kingdom life that's available today. He went on to say, today is the day of salvation, not the day that you die. And here's the thing. In the spiritual realm, you cannot appropriate anything in your life that you postpone. In other words, tomorrow's power is not going to help me today. Tomorrow's peace is not going to help me today. If you have peace, I'll have it tomorrow. Well, you need it today. I'll have joy. I'll have it next week when I go on vacation. You need it now, brother. So we always want to push things off in the future. Well, you can't appropriate it or make it active in your life if you're looking for it out in the future. So religion does, deals with hope. We hope to have peace someday. We hope to have joy. And most leaders will tell you, don't worry, when you die, you'll have it. But I don't want to wait till I die to have peace and joy. I want to have peace and joy today, praise God. So I'm going to understand that the kingdom was provided for me. So power tomorrow is not going to help you. You need, you need power today. All right, go back to Matthew chapter or 21. All right, Matthew chapter 21, look at verse 31. Whether of them twain did the will of his father, they said unto him the first. Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and you believed him not. But the publicans and the harlots believed him, and ye, when you had seen it, repented not afterwards that you might believe. I notice he's talking to the, how many know you, it's no wonder religion hated him the way he talked to them all the time, huh? Notice he comes to them and he basically says, uh, the prostitutes are going to the kingdom of God before you get in. Notice, because they were still locked in on their righteousness, which comes by self-works, the way they dressed, the way they did everything. They were trying to earn their way in. They were the most righteous people back then that people thought was righteous. But he came along and brought the kingdom righteousness, which is paid for by the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. So here Jesus says, prostitutes and sinners will enter the kingdom before you do. Now that tells me two things, that the kind of righteousness they were trying to do doesn't work. And it tells me also that it doesn't matter what you did before you entered the kingdom. The past is the past. I was a prostitute. You hear people all the time, well, I'm never going to preach because I was a prostitute before I got saved. Past. Gone. Doesn't make any different. Here he says, sinners and prostitutes will enter the kingdom of God. The Bible says you're a brand new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. And all things are of God. And until you get that revelation, you'll live in religion. Because you'll always be trying to help yourself fix yourself up. And you can't do that. The Old Testament tried to fix themselves up. It didn't work. You cannot fix yourself up. You do not grow from self-works to self-works. You grow from faith to faith and one level of glory to another level of glory. So when I got the revelation that I was basically the righteousness of God in Christ because I was a new creation in Christ Jesus, I took on the identity of someone who was righteous. Not someone who was trying to become righteous by my works, like I was told, but someone who made me righteous through the blood had made me righteous. So now I'm a righteous person. So anything I started to do in my life that wasn't lined up with righteousness, there was enough will and Holy Ghost in me to stop doing it because a righteous person don't do those things. But if you still believe you're a sinner saved by grace, then it's going to be normal for you to do those things and fight against those things and struggle against those things and fight against those until you get so wore out you can't take it anymore. It has nothing to do with that. Whatever happened to you and whatever took place in your life before you got born again passed away. 
It's gone once and for all. If you want to bring it up for a testimony, that's good. But don't identify with who you were ever. Because if you identify with who you were, the Bible says we will all with open face, beholding in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same glory by the Spirit of God. So whatever I behold, however I see myself in the mirror, is the way I'm going to be. If I see myself in His image and likeness, I'm going to be in His image and likeness. If I see myself as suffering from this, suffering from rejection, suffering from that, suffering from this, then that's who you're going to be. You're making your own self in the mirror. Then what are you going to have to do? Fight. Fight against it. Fight against this. Fight against that. You're wearing yourself out, praise God. You don't have to do that. Just believe who you are. The Bible says you can partake of His nature through the precious promises of our Lord Jesus Christ, not through your works. So I found the, in the Bible, I was righteous. Praise God, then I'm righteous. I was holy, then I'm holy. I was anointed, then I'm anointed. I didn't try to get anointed. I didn't hope to get anointed. I didn't wish to get anointed. The Bible says I was anointed, and I was anointed. So what did I do? I started acting and living like someone who was anointed. So when I picked up the Bible, I just didn't pick it up. I knew I was anointed to pick up the Bible and read the Bible, and I was going to get something out of it. See, all this comes from your identification, not your self-works. And every time you do something a little bit good, you feel like you need to pat yourself on the back, because God, look what I did. Look what I Look, I laid hands on people Sunday morning and filled them with the Holy Ghost. God, look at me. I took another rung up. Had nothing to do with me. Had to do with the Spirit of God who wanted to do something. We just did something. He did everything, and that was it. Praise God. See, you get out of that, look at me, look at me. Look what I'm doing. Everybody in the church, look what I can do. Look what I can It has nothing to do with what you can do. And all that, once again, is religious. What are you doing? You're doing self-righteous work so people like you, and people think you're spiritual. And, and what is really the answer to being spiritual and being a kingdom person? The Bible says fruits. I don't care how many people you healed, how many devils you cast out. Let me see your fruit. Let me check your branches and see what you got there, praise God. Because the power that you got is not going to be appropriated right if you don't have the character to go behind it anyway. So you wanted the character to go along with the power. Everybody gets power and enter the kingdom of God. But how many of you don't, you don't give a 10-year-old kid a shotgun and tell him to go out and start shooting around? No, you grow into it so you can use your power and direct it correctly when God wants to use it in a certain situation. So notice, who you behold, who you see, basically, is who you will become. So in religion, we don't try to become these things. We are these things. Let me just say this. The blood is enough. Your works are not going to add to anything Jesus did, so you might as well get over it. He saved you, and you're not going to add to your salvation by doing something extra special. It was all provided by the blood of the Lamb, and the past is the past. So that's good, too, because that means a bad past in my life, before I got born again, don't disqualify me. But if it's based on Jesus, then my good deeds in the future don't qualify me either. See, it's all based on Jesus Christ and what he did through the blood. So basically here it says, and don't matter who enters the kingdom of God, and that's why sometimes we see people out there who are really, really messed up. I may have seen people who are really messed up. When they get born again and really get hooked into the kingdom of God, that kind of life will go by the wayside. It'll disappear. I mean, if I went back and looked at myself when I was 28 years old, I probably wouldn't think I could possibly be anywhere close to where I am right now. You know, if I was God, I'd have just got rid of me and forgot it. But it's not that way. Once you get born again, your past is past, and now you live in the future, basically. You live in the kingdom of God and everything provided for you. All right, go to Matthew chapter 15.
All right, Matthew chapter 15, look at verse... All right, Matthew chapter 15, look at verse 6. It says, And honor not, and honor not his father and his mother, he shall be free. Thus have you made the commandment of God of none effect by what? Tradition. Say tradition. Religion deals basically in traditions. Traditions basically make the word of God of non-effect. Why? Because you don't take what the traditions bring into your life. You're stuck on celebrating the traditions all the time. We celebrate Christmas. Jesus was born. Easter, Jesus was raised. Pentecost, the Holy Ghost was poured out. Then we start over the next year. What happens? Jesus was born. Easter, Jesus was raised. Pentecost, then now the world has helped us. They put in Father's Day. And they put in Mother's Day. And they put in Valentine's Day. And they put in Sweetest Day. And now every month, everybody's honored for something. What are they trying to do? Get you focused on stuff that don't really make a dang bit of difference in your life and take you from month to month to month to month. So we celebrate tradition. God's not interested in you celebrating Christmas. He's interested in you living a Christmas life. He's not interested in you celebrating resurrection. That's okay. But he's interested in you living a resurrection life. A spirit-filled life. But we don't do that. We go from one to the next to the next to the next. Why do most people go to church on Christmas and Easter that never go? Tradition. If I just go once a year or twice a year, I should be fine. That's what they tell me. That's all that's going to take place. So we end up, like the Bible says, we strain a gnat and we swallow the camel, for gosh sakes. We go for the traditions, but they're not there. They don't help you. They're all part of religion. Religion commands you to be good, commands you to pray, commands you to go to church on Sunday. When, when, I went, when I was in a denomination, I was told that you go to church on Sunday or you go to hell. How many know that gets you to church on Sunday? So I went to church on Sunday, and there I sat. Didn't know why I was there. Checking my watch every five minutes, hoping it was over with. Just sat there and sat there, and then finally it was over with, and I left. Went back to the bar, did everything I wanted to do, ran around, got drunk all week. But Sunday, I was in church. Why? Because church was going to save me. Notice, tradition was my savior. Going to church was going to save me. And I found out there's one thing worse than not going to church and going to hell, and that's going to church and going to hell. Because you waste your whole time while you're there anyway. You might as well be out doing something you like to do, for goodness sakes. But no, traditions that are set up like that basically steal the, the possibilities from that holiday or from that day that they're celebrating. It's better off to find out basically what, what does resurrection mean to me? What does Jesus being raised the dead mean to me? What does Jesus being born means to me? Not just celebrate it and buy stuff and notice how commercialized everything gets too. Did you notice that? It's all got to do with money again. What do you got to do on Valentine's Day? You better spend some money on your sweetie. Sweetest day, you better spend some money on your sweetie. Christmas, boy, you better buy a whole bunch of presents because they're going to get you a whole bunch of presents. Easter, get that new bonnet. Got to have that Easter bonnet. Everything pushes you to do financially things out there running around shopping out there rather than taking advantage of what already belongs to you. So religion, once again, is based on what you do. Kingdom is based on what God did for you. That's what the kingdom is, taking advantage of everything that he did. Notice Jesus. On purpose, I think he healed the blind man on the Sabbath day. I think on purpose, he healed a bunch of people on the Sabbath day. Why was he doing that? Because he knew it would make religion mad. He knew it would come against their tradition of on that day you can't do nothing at all. But Jesus came and he did it anyway. Why is that? Because religion, it always deals with your performance, rules, and regulations, and tradition. 
That's what religion was set up to do, and that's what it does. It's to keep you in bondage. If somebody tells you that you've got to come to Treasure Coast Victory Center on Sunday mornings, every 10.30 to noon, or else you're going to hell, and you're a new Christian, how many know you're going to show up? See, how many of you know if I told you that none of you can have your sins forgiven unless you come to me and confess your sins to me or else you're going to hell? How many know a lot of people didn't know no better? Come on now, would have to come to me. What is it? It's to get a hold of you and lock you in, to get you locked into their church, locked into their religion. Give them something to do right away. Give them a, give them a place to go and a stuff to do. You'll grow into the place you're supposed to go. Just relax. Everything will be there and you'll find your purpose and your plan there. But notice it's not to put you in bondage. Religion, rules, and traditions were meant. Now you think these people, after he healed the blind man on the Sabbath, would have went, he's healed. He's healed. They didn't say he's healed. They got mad at Jesus. How about the woman bowed over for how many years? 13 years? My Lord. And she raises up. Nobody got excited in that church body. They all got mad at Jesus for raising her up because it was Sabbath day. What is that? Tradition. See, their traditions were more important. Their traditions were more important than anything else in the world. They were even more important than people. Well, God is not into man-made days. He's into God-made people. And that's the difference of the kingdom. We're after people. We want to help people. We want to do something to people. If we forget and skip Easter this year, we've, we've skipped Pentecost. If I forgot it was even Pentecost. Of course, I got told afterwards that it was Pentecost and all that. But, but still, I, I, I was finding out what God wanted to teach. Whatever he gave me to teach was not dependent on it being Pentecost. Is not dependent on it be Father's Day. Many times on Father's Day, we don't talk about fathers. Many days on Mother's Day, I'll let somebody else do it. Because I, I know if I don't talk about mothers, I may end up in trouble. So I let somebody else get in trouble. That's called delegation. <laughs> See, but we don't have to do that stuff because we're not into that stuff. All right, go to Matthew chapter 7. All right, if I have to have a definition for religion, this would definitely be it. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Jesus says, Judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. And with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but consider not the beam that is in thy own eye? Or how will you say to that brother, Let me pull out that mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in your eye? You hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shall thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's arm. This has a deal basically religion and almost a religious spirit. What is a religious spirit? It leads to you being critical, division, judgmental. This is why there are church splits because of this spirit. One of the primary characteristics of the Pharisees was focusing on what was wrong with the others while being blind to all their own faults. People who have beams are always looking for specks. First, cast the beam out of your own eye. An example of this was the woman who got caught in adultery. How many know everybody brought her to Jesus, said, look, she sinned. We caught her in adultery. We should stone her. And Jesus simply stood up and said, okay, let's hit religion one time. He said, if you've never sinned, pick up the first stone, and you're the first one to throw it if you did that. What was he saying? He was saying religion doesn't look at that stuff. Religion looks to help the person and bring them out of what they're in. Some people, instead of being changed by the Holy Ghost, think they are the Holy Ghost, and they're not. The Holy Ghost will do the job. Your job is to assist him with other people. 
Religion looks and focuses on what is wrong with others in such a way that it wants to tear them down to put themselves up. And why do they want to do that? Because everybody wants to be seen as somebody spiritual and holy and righteous. And basically, if anything, you should lift others up above yourself. They give the appearance of having wisdom and discernment when they really just want to expose other people's faults. I'll tell you, I used to go around to prayer meetings all the time. Found out that was a mistake. I went there, and most of the prayer meetings that I went to were basically no more than gossip. And Brother Joe, you know, he's been out there sinning and cutting fornication and adultery, and we know he's cussing up a storm, and we know he's doing this stuff, and we're just praying for him right now. Well, Sister Susie, she's robbing everybody in the world, and she hates everybody's guts, but we're gay, 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 And that's not the way you pray is by putting everybody else's laundry out there. Then at the end said, in Jesus' name, we pray in a real soft voice. It don't work that way. That's not it. That's, not, that's religiosity, basically, trying to tell everybody what somebody's doing wrong. When you run into somebody with dry bones as a religious person, you'll tell them how dry their bones are. In a kingdom person, you'll bring them up out of their dry bones and see them as someone serving God and operating in God. That's the difference. And it's all got to do with you. You don't want anybody to do any better than you. If somebody even gets blessed financially through a miracle, some people get mad. Well, been to this church two weeks. And they got $10,000. I've been tithing here for 25 years, and I've never got anything at all. Well, you should be happy that they got $10,000, praise God. And maybe if you're happy, go find out what they did to get it and how it worked for them in their life. But don't get mad because other people are succeeding, and you're not succeeding. And that happens because of a religious outlook again. The kingdom of God looks to influence and build up and encourage others and help them to grow. Even a prostitute caught in the act. And the one story about, remember the madman of Gadara? He's running around naked in the tombstones, cutting himself, everything else. And Jesus brought him to himself and said, said you can be free, you can be delivered. And he, he wanted to go preach the gospel that day, the very day. He probably did more for the kingdom of God than the Pharisees, who were Pharisees for 50 years. Why is that? Because there was a change that took place in his life. All right, go to Matthew chapter 11. There's just no bigger insult in the world when people come up to you and tell you you're very religious. I know they've got good intent that you go to church and you're, you don't cuss and you're nice and all that, but trust me, religion's different. All right, chapter 11, look at verse 16. Jesus says, But whereunto shall I liken this generation? It is like unto children sitting in the markets and calling unto their fellows and saying, We have piped unto you and you have not danced. We have mourned unto you and you have not lamented. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and you said he has a devil. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they said, Behold, a man gluttonous and a wine-bibbler, and a friend of publicans and sinners. But wisdom is justified by her children. So a religious person has no peace or joy ever. They're never happy with their performance, therefore they're never happy with anybody else's performance either. Here's a religious person. They come to TCVC. We do 15 minutes of music because we want to preach a little bit longer. That church just doesn't do music long enough. Next time they come, we do music for 40 minutes. They do music way too long. Next time they come, I preach for 40 minutes. He preaches way too long at that church. The next time I preach and everybody gets up and talk, I only got 10 minutes. They just don't preach long enough at that church. I'm never going back there again. Always finding something wrong with everything that everybody's doing and trying to be. These are people who are very educated. 
they know how to run a church. Never started one, never ran one, but they know. They've got an idea of how long the music should be, how this should be, how that should be. Got all this figured out. Why? Because it's a religiosity on the inside of you. Those are the kind of people that tell me what to do all the time. Pastor, I think you should be doing this. You know, you shouldn't be doing that. And you should be, this would be better for everybody. And this would be, and I just say thank you very much. You know, I'll, I'll give that prayer and consideration. Probably didn't give it prayer, but I did give it semi-consideration. And uh, Because what? Everybody thinks they know more. A religious person thinks he knows more than anybody else. So he's always basically looking to express his opinions. And this is where it gets bad because if they run their mouth too much, somebody will actually believe them. And then you've got five members and six members. And they're, instead of praising and worshiping, they're seeing if you're done with worship in 30 minutes, 35 minutes, 28 minutes, 26 minutes. And then they can get together afterwards and say, 23 minutes of worship. I'm going to a church that knows how to worship, for goodness sakes. And what does that do? If you lock that stuff in like most churches does, it keeps the Holy Spirit from operating, period. Right. You put him in a can, praise God. Like last week, we could have put him in a can, but we didn't. We opened the can, praise God. No matter what time it was, and we just left him go. If you want to go, go. You want to stay, stay. I could care less, but that's the way it works. If we do praise and worship and it's gone good, we want to add a song, it's all right. Everybody just take a breath. It'll be okay if we go to 11.15 and praise and worship. It'll be all right. But people start to panic. I'll tell you what, what, what's, the, what's the toughest thing. Just get quiet. People can't stand it. How long has that been? We've been quiet. Four hours? No, two minutes. Why? They think you've got to do, you be doing something. You've got to do, do something. Here you've got, you got to be doing some kind of work. Here we should be doing something. God's listening. God's waiting. Got and they drive, they're out there driving themselves nuts. And you're just relaxing in the Holy Ghost, having a good time. Everything's fine, praise God. But they've always got a better way of doing things than everybody else does. And that's simply because they want to be a performance-oriented person. Religious people, no matter how many religious works they do, they're still sad. And the only reward for doing religious works is the good feeling that you get when you do a religious work. (laughs) I went to church. I feel so good. I've good. Why? I went to church this morning. You did. What was the sermon about? I don't know, but I went to church this morning. What songs did we sing? I don't know, but I want you to know one thing. I went to church this morning, and I felt so good afterwards. What are they? Because they did a religious work. It made them feel good on the inside, even though that religious work had nothing to do with the kingdom of God at all. So praise God, what are we doing? We're coming out of religious mentality. We're getting into a kingdom mentality. We're thinking, praise God. We're, you're, you're not going to find the perfect church. Somebody came to me one time. They stayed here for two weeks, said, I've been looking for the perfect church. I came here, and I've decided this ain't it. They said, I'm going to have to go someplace else. And I said, well, you're never going to find it. They said, why? I said, because you're going to be there. <laughs> I mean, they were leaving. <laughs> not like I was trying to get them to stay. They already told me they were gone, so hey. You're right. It's never going to be, praise God. All right, go to Matthew chapter 7. All right, Matthew chapter 7, look at verse 21. Jesus said, Not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? In thy name have we cast out devils? In thy name have we not done wonderful works? And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me that works iniquity. I mean, you know, this is a tough scripture, isn't it? 
So notice what he's talking about here. He's talking about religiosity once again. He's talking about people doing things for the wrong reason. Why did they cast the devil out of the person? So the person would be free? No, so they could say they cast the devil out of a person. Look at me. I healed so-and-so. I prayed for so-and-so. I delivered so I did this, and I did that, and look at me. And Jesus says, you never knew me. The word there is intimately. You never intimately knew me. Why is that? Because your heart was not his heart. In other words, you had a heart that wasn't lined up. So I prophesied what? It was a religious work for me. I cast out devil. It was a religious work for me. Look at me. I did that. Look at me, everybody. I'm a devil caster out, and I'm a, nothing to do with the person who you set free. I mean, everything Jesus did, it said, and then he moved with compassion. He moved to self-promote himself and healed them. No, it never says that. He moved with compassion, and he healed them. So basically, I prophesied, I cast out devils. Do you like me now, God? Are you looking what I'm doing? Uh, I'm keeping a book here to show you everything that I did while I was down here, when basically it's his power that allowed you to do it anyway. So Jesus never healed a sick person or cast out a devil to build his own resume with the Father. He was moved with compassion. As a matter of fact, God is pleased with you before you do any of these things. And he's pleased with you after you do these things. Why is that? Because God was pleased with you the day you got born in the kingdom of God and became his son. So you don't have to do things to make God happy about you or else you'll be doing something all the time. Some people just can't sit still. They want to be in everything that takes place. Everything, whether it's a meeting or a picnic or whatever, they want to be on the front line. You don't have to. Find your lane, stay in your lane, run your race in your lane. You don't have to be in everything just to please God to have your resume telling all the wonderful things that you did. And there's people in the church who are so religious that you have to be careful because some of them are leaders. And what do leaders do? Leaders a lot of times they put heavy loads on you that you shouldn't and can't carry. There was a guy one time I was associated with who every time I got together and had lunch with him a couple times, he would say, you know, all this week I, I prayed for four hours every morning from 7 to 11, and in the afternoon then I prayed in the Holy Ghost for another three hours, and I've been doing that every day now for two weeks. And I said, well, that's good. And he said, well, how long did you pray this morning? I said, well, 20 minutes. He said, how long did you pray in the Holy Ghost? I said, well, maybe a half hour. And he said, you only do that when you can be doing it four hours in the morning and three hours in the afternoon and doing this and doing that and doing this. I said, well, no, I don't really believe I'm called to do this, see. And if he gets in front of a congregation and says that, how I many know everybody's going to leave guilty because they probably didn't pray at all, much less four hours. They probably didn't pray in the Holy Ghost in three weeks, much less three hours. So everybody goes away guilty. Notice, if God's telling you to pray four hours in the morning, go ahead and pray. If you're telling me to pray in the Holy Ghost for three hours in the afternoon, knock your socks off. I'm going to do what he tells me to do. Are you following me? I'm not, going to, I'm not running a race with somebody else to see who can pray more than each other or see who can do this more than each other. And if you're just starting out in the church or just starting out in the kingdom of God, you may be able to pray decent for 15 minutes. And how many know that's enough? And when you start enjoying God in 15 minutes, all at once it may blossom into a half hour, maybe into 45 minutes. But there's no law that says you've got to pray this many. And what were they doing? They were simply glorifying their works. I pray four hours a day. You only pray 15 minutes. Like they jumped way ahead of you someplace along the line. You know, they're right in front of God, and you're way back here in the back somehow. No, all that is religiosity. You can't idolize and worship your works. We idolize and worship God. 
They, if you're so proud of your works and all that stuff, then you're in the wrong boat. All the stuff we're doing for God anyway. The truth is it may not be God's will for you to pray four hours a day, two hours a day. You pray pr- probably whenever you can pray and pray effectively. Praise God. You just follow the Holy Spirit and do what you want to do. We lay hands here. We don't do it every service. We don't do it for weeks. Then we may do it two weeks in a row. It doesn't matter to me. If God's ready to go, we go. If he's not ready to go, we don't go. Do you see? Well, we lay hands on somebody every service. Well, good for you. I'm glad. I'm glad. If that's what your church is supposed to do, see, and everybody don't understand, everybody's different. God deals with everybody different, and you're not comparable to anybody. You're not here to be compared with everybody and what they're doing and what they're not doing. Just follow the Holy Ghost on the inside of you and do what God tells you to do. I look at verse 21. Not everyone who says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. That word enter in there means shall receive the full benefits from. And what are the full benefits from? Peace, joy, So what happens if I'm operating in religious works, I'm not having any peace or joy even though I'm casting out devils, healing the sick, and doing everything that I'm supposed to be doing. It don't matter if you're fasting two, three, four, five days a week, praise God. What is it? We're doing what God wants us to do and we're operating in the kingdom of God. You shouldn't be under any pressure in the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter 6. The more religion you can come out of, I'll tell you, the better off you're going to be, the more peace you're going to have. You don't have to react to every situation. You don't have to have the answer to every situation. Somebody comes up and says, oh, I know, you're a pastor, and I've got this tough problem, blah, 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 blah. What do you think? Sometimes I'll say, I don't know. That doesn't take me down four rungs. It simply means I don't know. And I'm not going to try to look smart by saying, well, in God's infinite mercy and infinite grace, And when he was up there with Gabriel one day and he decided to do this or decided to do that, I'm not going to do that. If I have the answer, you'll get it. If I don't have the answer, you won't get it. See, but everybody wants to have an answer. Everybody wants to have a word for somebody else, you know. If you've got a force to have a word for somebody else, you're in trouble. See, even when I have a word for somebody, I don't usually say God said. I just sort of say it. And they look at me like they know God said. See, because if I say something that God said, and maybe I said because I had a pizza before I came to church, and then I don't want to go back track on that because I don't want to speak for God unless I'm speaking for God. Are you following me? So that's the way I do it. I just speak to them. I just say, hey, you know, I just think if you did this and that, oh, that's right. That's exactly what God has been telling me to do. Well, why they didn't do it before I had a confirmant, I don't know. You know, God speaking to you ought to be enough, you'd think, to get you going in the right space. All right, Matthew chapter 6. Look at verse 1. It says, Take heed that you do not do your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, ye will have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. This tells you when you give money, when you bless somebody, when you give into the offering, you don't have to jump up and put it on the TV screens up here how much you gave that day and how wonderful, wonderful job you did. Look at verse 5. And when you pray, you shall not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. So here's people who are praying. Maybe they're at a prayer meeting. They've got a prayer, but they're praying not actually to pray. They're praying so you see them pray and think there's something wonderful because of the prayer they prayed. Have you ever wanted to, in my younger years, I wanted to pray and I kept trying to work up something that would sound good. I mean, if I'm going to pray and there's other people there, I want it to sound good, right? You don't want some dumb prayer coming out of your mouth. You want something that sounds really good and powerful, like you've got a whole bunch of knowledge. And so 
But then as you get older, you just pray whatever. You just throw it out there and you just go with it because you're no longer wanting to be seen of men. Look at verse 16. Moreover, when you fast, say when you fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they distinguish, disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. So what happens here again? Here's somebody who's fasting. So they come into church on Sunday morning and they're sweating and they don't look very good and they're walking real slow and they're taking their seat and they're sitting down and can barely stand up and you're saying, what's the matter with you? I've been fasting for 21 days. What do they want to do? They want to pat on their back for how long they've been fasting to show how spiritual they are. And see, we, do, we don't do that, do we? We, 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 do, we fast for a, a reason. We do it because. We do it because we have a zeal for God. We give, we pray, we fast. What for? Not to please God because that's who we are. We're kingdom people and it's automatic. Tithing is an automatic thing for a kingdom person. You don't even have to think about it. It's part of the kingdom of God. Walking in love, kingdom of God. Walking in peace, kingdom of God. Not worrying. That's Christianity. Kingdom of God doesn't worry. It doesn't have to worry. It doesn't have time to worry. So we don't give and we don't pray and we don't do these things to impress other people. Rather, we do it out of a love for our God. We're not people pleasers. We are God pleasers. If in doing works that you have to be seen, heard, honored, known, noticed, hopefully praised, then you're doing them out of the wrong motive. You're doing them out of how great I art. You want everybody to see you. want everybody to notice you. Want every, gosh, we just finally put a sign up after being here forever. So that's about as far as we've gone, as far as being noticed here so far, as we put a sign up finally. Hallelujah. Glory to God. But, I mean, you want the right type of people. At least I do in a church. I don't, I'm not into how many people. I'm into the quality of the people that I have in the place. I want people who are growing up, who are kingdom walkers, kingdom talkers. I want people when, that when my grandson's in trouble, I can come to them and get results. I can go to any other church where you get no results and I could be weeping, crying, moaning, everybody be patting me and all that kind of stuff. But I want a church that when we come into a situation, we're going to stand, bless God, and we're going to grab that word of God. We're going to tell the devil where to go and we're going to say, God said, and God, you said this and you're going to do it and praise God, put him in a position where he can do something in our lives. That's what we want. And, it, and that can't be done, I don't think, with a church of 2,000 people. Maybe it can. If you get all 2,000 people in agreement, God bless you. I'll settle for 50. Maybe three. Come on, you know what I mean. It's hard to get people into agreement, especially on the Word of God. Everybody believes something else. Everybody, half people are religious, half are this or that. We want to be the kingdom type of church, praise God. We want to operate in love in every situation. We're not here to promote anybody. You're not going to be any more uh, noticed of me if you come up here and speak or don't come up here and speak or whatever. You know, when we were in the men's meeting, I was talking, and I think I was talking about John and his marriage, and basically I picked them out to do the married couples. And I picked them out, and, and the reason that I did that, I told him that because I wanted them to help the married couples. But really, I lied to him. I told him because I didn't really want them to help the married couples as number one. I wanted to have them must get together and study together to become a better marriage. <laughs> See? You don't go to them and say, hey, I just want your marriage to get better and better so you can teach the people. No. You go here and say, hey, you guys are doing great. I want you to teach these people over here. See, you're going to be mighty teachers. What did he have to do? Heather, we better get in the Bible. We better start getting together. And we said, and that was my motive to begin with. Why was that? So then they grew, and now they can teach others. Do you see? So there's a way that you can do things even rather than doing it the religious way. I think you're called. Go ahead and do it. Or No, no, you've you got to sort of 
sort of conniving a little bit, you know. But that's okay. It works, praise God. It works. Hallelujah, glory to God. And even people, we come up here to teach. You know, we have the barbers, we have the charlainers, we have all them. You guys come up here to teach. I really believe you have something for the congregation. But my main interest is not the congregation. It's helping you to grow and come up and feel free in front of people just to speak to them and talk to them and do things. But I don't come up to you and say, hey, I'm going to get you up front and can't see if I can't get you to relax a little bit and just teach and preach and do a good job. No, I say, the church needs your word, which they do. The church needs what you got, which they do. But that's one of my alternatives. My other one is for you to get in the Word, grow, get more calm behind the pulpit and do things, see? So what is that? That's all kingdom thinking rather than religion pushy, tell somebody what to do thinking, praise God. So we want to think like that. The religious spirit will make you feel good about your spiritual condition as long as it is self-centered and self-seeking. Once again, the only reward for, for religious works basically is the works that you do. We do all for the glory of God. He made us what we are. He gave us our position. He gave us our place. Basically, He gave us everything. Discipline and all that stuff is good if it's done for the right reason. The answer to a religious spirit and religion is very simple. It's the love of God and faith in the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. When you know that God loves you, whether you do good or do wrong, whether you do bad or do good, you know, one of my greatest fears when I first started a church and got up here was that I would fail, that I would make a mistake that I would do something wrong but when I understood and grew in the love of God and understand he don't care whether I screwed up mispronounce a word misread a scripture you know we're so we're so self-confident when we get up here I don't know how to pronounce that word I'm panicking just spit it out nobody else knows how to pronounce it either just throw something out there that sounds intelligent nobody knows the difference See, but you're worried about all that stuff. But once you know God loves you, it doesn't matter anymore. You know he loves you. He wants the best for you. So you can relax and do what God wants you to do. So the love of God casts out all fear. Religion is based in fear. I'm afraid I'm not doing enough works. I'm afraid I'm not doing the right works. I'm afraid God's not happy with me. I'm afraid that people are going to think about me. I'm afraid. All that is religiosity. It's something you need to come out of to be the best, to bring out all the gifts that you have in you. Because everybody in here has a ton of gifts. Ton of gifts. I always say the richest place in the whole world is a cemetery. Because everybody was full of gifts. They died, got buried there, and all those gifts. There's a book over there under that tombstone. There's a church over there under that tombstone that never got done. Why is that? Because the people didn't allow the gifts that were on the inside of them to come out. So if any of these things you recognized in your life, which I'm sure nobody in here did any of those tonight, they've freely agreed with me and understood everything here. Praise God. Hallelujah. I just study those chapters. They're all in Matthew, if you noticed. You don't have to go very far. You just got to go to Matthew, read the red, and it'll show you different things of religiosity in your life where you're trying to be a people pleaser, trying to do all these things. And basically you want to come out of that and just let God love you and you love him. Father, I thank you for your word tonight. I thank you for pulling the uh, old cloth there off the old religiosity. I thank you, Father, we are kingdom people and we are living in the kingdom of God. We thank you that everyone in here tonight I proclaim as a new creation. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. I come against with any past that is holding someone down in here tonight through the lies of the devil and through their own mouth. I break it off of their life right now in the name of Jesus. Devil, you're a liar. You loose them and you let them go right now in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father, that every one of us is in your image and in your likeness. I thank you for the perfect peace and joy and power and authority and the kingdom of God that you've entered us into. We thank you for more and more revelation each and every day by your spirit. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. All right. Praise to my TC.
first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you.